This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by bellacatering.com.au. Guys, if you want to support this show, you need to go and catch the great people at Bella Catering on their website and order up. If you're in the Sydney area, order up and cater for any events, any get-togethers, any catch-ups you are now allowed to have face-to-face with your friends and family. And while we're teetering on the edge of what we can and can't have at home, why stress yourself out with cooking? Just let Bella Catering do it. They're the best. They have a great team. They're great people. They're great friends of the show, and they're great friends of mine in my personal life. And uh, I'd appreciate if you check them out. They've been a great support for the show. Now, this is a massive week. We have had revelations in the news. It feels like it's been five news cycles since the last time we talked. We have a massive lineup of guests, and you're going to get these guests thick and fast this week. I cannot wait to share them with you. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We also have a Patreon, Patreon forward slash One Heat Minute. Bonus shows, shout outs. But now, let's get to all the president's minutes for this week. We don't think that you've been completely honest with us. If this is about the Watergate nonsense, let me say once again, I had nothing to do with it, okay? It's a plot created by my enemies to disgrace me. Those radical, muckraking bastards, Woodward and Bernstein over at the Washington Post. They are the liars here, you know. Always hiding behind the goddamn First Amendment. Well, let me tell you something. It won't protect them from me. Actually, it was just about the dog. You act like you like him. But we don't think you do. What dog? (sighs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Welcome to the 91st Minute of Alan J. Pakula and Robert Redford's 1976 masterpiece, All the President's Men. This is the minute-by-minute show that intersects and tackles every damn minute, everything, politics, journalism, cinema, and have conversations. Today, I have one half of a dynamic duo, and I feel like a mistress um, in this duo for occasionally having uh, guested with his great partner um, on on not only this podcast, but other dalliances for folks who know um, of the Imprint Companion podcast. The person I'm talking to today is an extremely talented comedian, a very funny actor, often finds himself in the news as well, because uh, in Australia, there's a special broadcasting service. Um, and he's uh, on the feed, which is sort of like our a really great um, news program that always does great satires and skits. He's the guy, he's like the every man in every sketch that just comes in and just crushes it. And like, it's like, we need someone to be the guy in this. You're it. Um, he's in that in countless levels of clips that you can find all over the, uh, the internet. He's also, as I, as I alluded to a great co-host on the terrific total reboot, the only podcast about cinema on the Australian <laughs> internet. He's the co-host of Mike Check, which is as rigorously tackling uh, the work of Mike Myers as this show tackles all the president's men. And really, 
the colossal, probably in the top two or three Australian podcasts that have ever been made that I've listened to, but certainly the best pop culture podcast ever made is Finding Drago. He is one half of that team. Uh, Cam James, mate, thank you so much for being a part of all the President's Minutes. Thank you so much for having me. And let me tell you, when you hear your whole uh, life laid out in front of you like that, (laughs) it really does give you some much-needed perspective. And you go, man, I really need to do something else maybe. Maybe I need to like get some hobbies. No, I've turned no, you don't all, need any, you don't <laughs> need any all hobbies. my hobbies into um, podcasts. Fun <laughs> podcasts and fun things. It's like that. that's the that's the, the, the biggest problem in my life is that, you know, and, and you've got a great relationship with like Alexi Toliopoulos who we're both buddies with and it's like mm. there's sometimes – I'm like, oh, here's a great idea for something that I really enjoy. Why don't I make work out of it for the next year? <laughs> <I> <laughs> you know? know? It's, like, it's like you do. It's like here's something I really love. Let's talk about it until I can't say one more thing about it ever again. Um, it's just one of those inclinations that you have. But look, man, I've, I've been excited to talk to you on this show. I've been excited to, um, you know, you on the Total Reboot podcast. You guys have intersected with this era, these actors, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, 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 it's exciting for that. And this is a minute. And, and I said this way, way, way back when um, Alexi was on one of the, it was the 18th episode um, of all the president's minutes. And we're now at the 91st <laughs> just for context. Um, and this has all happened in this year, by the way, which is all the more crazy. Um, so I said to him way back then is like, your, your great show finding Drago um, was like a Woodward and Bernstein double act. Like you guys were investigating, trying to find this guy who had written, you know, Ivan Drago fan fiction and was in this <laughs> country. And, uh, you know, it was, that was sort of the thrill. You guys kind of captured the essence of what is so addictive and alluring about just like the structure of these kind of how done it, who done it, um, you know, investigative journalism, detective sort of stories. It's just like, you just want to, you're ravenous for it. You're like, I just, every little more details that you guys find out made you ask more questions. And I feel like anyone who's listening or watching this movie, you know, that's the kind of great, you know, sort of first or second time that you do this go around is you just want to see all the mechanisms of how everything happened and what everyone was doing. And and so I feel like, you know, this kind of story better than almost anyone. Well, I think uh, Alexi and I, uh, yeah, you can compare us to Woodward and Bernstein, but <laughs> if we weren't, if they weren't working for the post, it's if they're working yeah. for just some shitty zine that was published <laughs> <laughs> on the outskirts yeah. of Washington DC in someone's garage. Like we had no, yeah. we have no skills. We have no investigative journalism know-how. I think we both started journalism degrees and then quit them in favor of media studies, <laughs> which was helpful. It's a help, yeah. helpful degree to have. Oh, right now in 2020, yeah, as helpful as it gets, yeah. as helpful as it gets. Yeah, exactly. It's, it de- definitely doesn't make you do any soul searching whatsoever when you see like film media and cultural studies on a degree that you have right now. You're just like, no. Huh. I'm totally uh... comfortable opening up GarageBand on my computer though. I'm totally <laughs> comfortable in that hey, zone. Killing, killing it on the GarageBand, <laughs> killing it on the GB. Um, so, you know, I've talked a lot um you know, I've talked a lot to your podcasting partner about like his influences. He loves Mm. this era. He loves people like Sidney Lumet and Scorsese and new Hollywood era is really important to him. I haven't had a chance to talk to you about any of that stuff yet. So 
now this era, like this time, especially this movie, conspiracy movies and sort of paranoia thrillers, mm. is this sort of your jam? Like, are you, is this something that you're into? Because it, it strikes me as like, you guys are both fans of these kinds of things in just all the talks you've had about, um, you know, on, you know, many of your podcasts, but it feels like you're a fan of the era, but I'm not sure if you're a fan of the, the, the kind of the genre of movie. It's funny because um, I was just saying this recently. When I first started uh, doing a movie podcast, and by the way, it is the only podcast on the internet about movies. So I apologize right. to you. I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that. But um, are you, I, does I, that bother I, you? Does I, it threaten you? I, I, look, I, I I feel like if I just say I'm the uh, I'm you guys are the only podcast about movies, and I do shows where it's the only podcast about movie. <laughs> and uh, that's this. I just I, I'm taking the singular. You guys can take the plural. I think we can stay in the same town together. Yeah. Um, that, you know, like, and 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 mine is also one minute of said movie. That's so true. I think that's it's okay. true. Yeah, I think that's a nice little loophole you found for yourself there. Yeah. Um, I was I'm saying living uh, in the loopholes, man. I'm loving. <laughs> I was saying to Alexi recently that when when we first started, it must have been five years ago or something now my tastes were so different to what they are now. So back then, uh, I would have said my favorite type of film is the like 1990s um, low to mid-level um, budget indie film, like the Richard Linklater yeah. film, the yeah. the uh, Gus Van Sant film. You know, I loved that kind of stuff. I loved Mumblecore. I was very much of the uh, ilk that genre movies... I kept saying to Alexi, genre movies just suck, dude. They don't get it. They're not about anything real, man. It's just like pulpy suspense <laughs> bullshit. And then over the last five years, I've completely swung around the different ways so that now if I put on a movie that's relatively plotless um, and is just like about tone or whatever, I'm like, mm, come on, where are the guns, man? Where's the... Yeah, shoot somebody, for God's <laughs> yeah. sake. Yeah, someone... I don't, I just... This better be yeah, a it... horror film or something. <laughs> What's going on? Where's the... Yeah, so I've um fully come around on this era, especially this 70s era, this genre picture. I mean, I, it's funny you said um paranoid, th you know, paranoid thriller, conspiracy thriller, that sort of type of movie. That's my go-to at the moment. I can't stop yeah. watching Brian De Palma movies. Oh. And, and that's his... Because you guys have just done on Total Reboot, you guys have just done... Uh, I heard you do Blow Up mm. and recently Blow Out because you're doing a Travolta reboot, I think you guys are calling it, which <laughs> yeah. is the John Travolta reboot series. Um, and, you know, you did Antonioni's Blow Up to, to move into De Palma's Blow Out. And, like, yeah. you know, those two movies are definitely in a conversation with all the president's men, right? Like, like you know, they, they, they don't exist without each other. They're all of the same sort of cut from the same cloth, but I, I agree. I love it. I've, I've um, particularly, there's a great uh, Sam Wasson just wrote a book called the, uh, the big goodbye, which is sort of mm. a document history about the making of Chinatown. And so I found myself like watching Chinatown a lot. I watched the sequel to Jake's, which is not as good. Mm, um, I've but, never seen um, that. You know, it's it's not as good it's slightly more confusing and incomprehensible but when it's really good it's great yeah like, okay. there's parts of the movie that are like so tip top and there are other parts that are like deeply weird um <laughs> and 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 that are sort of like kind of confusing and you'll scratch your head but like the look the some of the narration some of the great like characterizations and you know just just jack being jack like having like getting to chew the scenery and like really make um 
really make JJ Giddis like an old school sort of hmm. proper gumshoe detective. It's like, it does, it does really work. And like, I, I was, you know, fully, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I really like those nineties movies where they still just threw a stack of cash at like a genre movie. Like it's a detective movie. Like you got millions, squillions of bucks and lots of people there. But yeah, um, I, 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 I agree. I love a paranoia thriller. I love that sort of thing. Cause it, it's, it's, it just, it, they seem to move. They just they move. move. They're kinetic. Um, it's addictive and it, they, they all make you feel smarter than you actually are because <laughs> it's a real, yes. it's such a beautiful trick that those movies do where they, they spoon feed you the clues, but you've figured it out a second or two before the lead character has. So you think that you're a fucking genius while you're watching it. Yeah. this movie almost doesn't do that though i was going to ask you do you consider this like a conspiracy thriller or i mean for me it has elements of it obviously and it's obviously about it's the perfect subject for a conspiracy thriller but um but it's way more procedural than a lot of those other movies are like it's yeah it's it it feels like a bit of a nexus movie for me that's part of the draw like um you know i just i leapt out of one heat minute um, a film that is so like a big existential crime epic, you know, mm. but you can put a few twists. People might call it heist. People call, you know, even Michael Mann, the director himself is like, it's a human drama. And yes, it's like a crime drama at its, at its core. Like that's pretty much, that's the label you can apply to it. Yeah. Um, but I find presidents is hard because it's like, is it, some people just call it an, for that exact reason you talked about the procedure of it. It's just a, it's a great newsroom movie. Mm. Like it shows you all warts and all, all mm. the technical, um, Manny Farber called it termite art, which is just like those little, the, that great texture of like, I just want to see every goddamn detail. And there's mm. just something so like appetizing and comforting of seeing all that. So it's those great moments, but what's so cool about it is that you get it made by a guy like Alan Pakula and his team of people, George Jenkins is the production designer, Gordon Willis, who obviously one of the greatest cinematographers who's ever lived, um, you know, shot movies like the Godfathers um, and, and um, you know, a stack of the Woody Allen films in Manhattan. But you get these guys who've come out of parallax view, which is paranoid thriller 101, right? Like it's just like everything's over the top. It's huge symbolism and metaphorical storytelling but this movie can't do that. Like it's in this box that says we have to be factual mm. and we have to be, we've got to be like a straight down the line docudrama. So it's like a total newsroom movie. And then there's these moments where, where they go into people's houses or they go into underground car parks and it becomes, yeah. it's like in these like doses, <laughs> it's like the greatest paranoia thriller you've ever seen, but it's not like it's, <laughs> it has to be balanced with that pure, like we've got to be sort of, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's right to say like we've got to be true to life or authentic. Yeah. Authenticity. The pressure, I think. Yeah. You're right. The, the, the pressure is the authenticity, but those moments where it's like, I'm just going to watch Redford in a cab going to a dark underground car park. And it's going to basically feel like, you know, a, um, you know, an, an, an ancient hero, you know, descending into the underworld. That's where the movie does these great, like just pure, purely cinematic tricks where it's just like, I'm going to take you into the tonal shift of this movie, but, and it kind of is effortless and it's just not really something that people put big exclamation marks on because there's just so many other great moments where like people are listening to phone calls, pissing off people on phone calls, like taking <laughs> notes, manipulating people to tell them things to with confirmation. You know, it's got all those beautiful other procedural things. Well, I think, I think you just summed up what I like about it, which is the swing between two, 
um, types of movie. And I think that's really the, um, that's the difference in writing style between Woodward and Bernstein and William Goldman, who is a genre writer or like, is a, he's just a, a writer. He's a fucking screenwriter and he wants to put excitement yeah. on the screen. So he's yes. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we go into this uh, underground car park, which is lit beautifully by the way. And this guy fucking speaks in riddles and rhymes and we don't know what the <laughs> fuck he's talking about. And then the rest of the movie feels like that's Woodward and Bernstein's whole point of writing the book, which was to show how long these things take, how real it is, the fuck-ups, the dead ends. And like you just mentioned, the little the little journalistic tricks of like manipulating people uh, to say kind of give more information than they want to give. And I think the minute that you spoke about with Alexi was that the that was um, Woodward on the phone call on the phone cold calling people, right? One of, one of his first one of the first big phone calls. It's not the six minute with the close up, but it's that first cold calling all the different places in Washington to get enough information of like what's happened. And yeah, it's just it's where he's scribbling on the paper, he's listening mm, to people, he's mm. drawing pictures. Yeah, yeah it's, dude. it's like that's. It's, that's it's fucking those little things of like porn. you assume that his notes are going to be so awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's got fucking doodles yeah. and shit oh, in there. Pen hitting paper. <laughs> pen, uh, pen hitting paper, a stupid like Simpsons character face on a paper yeah. while you're bored listening to someone is it couldn't be better than that for me. It couldn't be better. Two things I like about that. And uh, I'm a bit jealous I didn't get to do that sequence because I think that's my favorite sequence in the movie. Uh, for two reasons, uh, it's the blowout of it all, which is, I mean, the movie Blowout, which I just watched, admittedly, that's why I'm talking about it, um, yeah. gives so much time and detail to Travolta's character, Jack Terry, just doing his job, just like mm -hmm. labeling tapes with a texter, running reels through a fucking thing, marking it with an X and syncing up sound and audio. It really gives, it's porn for editors, basically. Yeah. The yeah. other thing I love about it, I think this movie does, like that sequence does that really well with him just kind of doing his job and writing down keywords and circling things and scribbling shit out, all classic journalist shit. But the other thing I love about that sequence is I think it's home to the most naturalistic performance Robert Redford's ever given in his entire career where he yeah. fucks up uh, saying, does anyone here speak Spanish? Speak Spanish, yeah. I think it's the best, honestly, the best acting he's ever done. It's, and what's even crazier, and you would know this is like the dalliances in acting and like people that you perform against. When someone is on their game across from you, obviously you have to lift your game. And I think mm. it's such a crazy thing for Redford to be like, all right, cool, let's hire the guy who is the most hot acting property <laughs> yeah. in the yeah. whole country, save for maybe two other guys because they're not available mm. um, to act across from. And like, I've got a pit my sort of like waspy fifties sort of like style against this like method trained actor, like ready to roll coming in hot. Um, and just that natural, like that, that's Pakula's magic. He's like, he puts these two guys in the same room and makes everyone feel like they're method actors, makes everyone feel like they walk the walk. What's crazier is, Woodford's um, uh, Woodford. See, I did what Alan J. Pakula does. Like he said, he, he said he started calling Robert Redford Woodford instead of Woodward or, or or Redwood because it's like it was like he did that. It's funny, but he goes, he goes. I was watching Redford on screen, and when he'd be directing, he's like, he's actually right-handed in real life, but but Woodward isn't. Woodward is left-handed, mm. and so Redford's like learning how to write notes left-handed, scribble stuff, answering the phone 
left-handed doing all this stuff. And it's just like, it's a tiny method touch, but it's like that touch that he doesn't really need to do it in other parts of his career because there's not like so much known about his characters. It's just like Robert Redford. Well, yeah, true. He's too hot to be method. He doesn't need to be. Oh, he can I mean, just be a handsome fella, but he, I, I feel like. If you uh, can wear corduroy. Yeah, dude. At all. Dude. At all. He, he wears double corduroy. Dude, like I corduroy bought, up top. Corduroy. <laughs> I bought a corduroy <laughs> jacket on eBay while I was watching this movie. Oh my God. <laughs> Not, even kidding, dude. Not even I kidding, Not even kidding. I have sit, I, I. I can't tell you how much I love that because I have literally sat in his office doing, doing this show and looked on eBay and looked on places going, is there a corduroy jacket that I can get away with? Like, is there one I can try? I really want to. The corduroy pant is a bridge too far, but I just want a jacket and I haven't had the balls. It's a bold look. move. I've got one set of uh, one pair of corduroy pants that I bring out very sparingly because you can't wear much else with it. If you're wearing, no. if you're wearing anything <laughs> slightly too loud, you look fucking ridiculous. You got to wear, a, yeah. you know, it's it's crazy. You got to temp that right down. You got to temp that right down. But he's I'm he's really, incredible on I'm, this man. He's so good. It, and in the scene we're about to talk about too, I think it's uh, it's another one of my favorite Redford moments. There, this is a great scene. We'll set it up and we'll watch it so that we can dive right in. For folks who you know don't immediately know where the 91st minute is if you're listening to this show for the first time thank you so much for following along um we are in the home um of hugh sloan played by stephen collins and a very questionable man uh, hmm. he is hmm. but in the home of hugh sloan we've had the setup that Mr. Sloan is in an honest house. He's left um, the organization, the community president because uh, his wife has said, you know, there's dodginess going on. You got to get out of there. And what we've finally seen also is a great scene with the boys, Hoffman and Redford actually planning and strategizing how they're going to communicate with people. So this is the first thing you really get to see them flex their muscles of like practicing things to say, to, to get information out of a person who maybe is a bit of a bad source. And what's great about this scene I guess purely in the performances is that the more I watch this, there's, there's a really talented um, writer and editor, Kelsey Ford came on in the episode that you guys have just before the episode we're talking on now. And Kelsey called Hugh Sloan, slippery Sloan. And now I can't get that out of my head because that's exactly <laughs> what he is. He's sitting on the opposite side of the room. Mm. He's being evasive. He's not answering questions. And what the minute that Cam and I are going to watch with you now, the 91st minute, one hour 30 on the dial up to one hour 31. Um, you're going to get to watch these boys try and dance around this guy's many evasions. This guy who's apparently got a moral center and this is an honest house, but he's dancing around every direct question they ask. Cam and I are going to watch it right now. You guys are going to listen along and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Names of the people who could order you. We just know that there were four. Right? Well, there were five. Mitchell five. stands McGruder. They're off. Yes. Well, I, there had to be a White House overseer. Yeah, Colson. Huh? No, Golson's too smart to get involved directly with anything like that. Hold him. Right. I won't talk about the other two. They both worked at the White House? One of them did. The other one's not in Washington, but that's all I'll say. Combat. Nixon's personal lawyer. Yeah. Right? Nixon's personal lawyer? I can't say anything. I'm sorry. Well... When's the baby due? Uh, soon, next month. Are you going to stay here? No, I don't think so. You decide where you're going to go? 
I've been looking for a job in the private sector, but it's... It's very hard. My name's been in the papers too much. You know, one thing I'm just still not completely clear about. There it is. Slippery slide. Slipping and sliding all over the screen. Slipping and sliding. And great. (laughs) Hoffman couldn't do this scene any better if he tried. Like as far as the confirmation, like Sloan's posture is kind of awkward. He's sitting in like literally a Dr. Evil style chair in the corner (laughs) of the room. Yeah, yeah. Redford's hunched over taking notes, but it's, it's Hoffman. Maybe it's just this time watching it with you, Cam. But Hoffman just slouching all over yes. that couch and being so chill about like what they know. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be. Coulson. Oh, no, no, no. Coulson would, never, you know, Coulson would never get involved with something like that. And he's like, oh, it's Haldeman. But from where he's delivering it, he's delivering it like a guy who is so like passe. Like it's just like, oh, everyone knows this shit. Um, it's so cool. It's such a great little scene. It's a um, bit of a masterclass not just in acting and everything, but in journalism. And I think it's why I like it. I hadn't really put two and two together, but just to to give you a little bit of context on uh, the show Finding Drago that you've mentioned a couple of times that Alexi and I worked on, we, because it's kind of an investigative show and we were interviewing people, especially people that were being evasive and people that didn't want to give out too much information about themselves we got in an expert on uh, a documentarian named Anna Bronowski, who has made a film called Hidden, uh, Hidden Lies, Forbidden Lies. And um, she, her expertise is interviewing con artists and con men and whatnot. Ugh. And she gave us a bunch of great tips on interview tactics for how to get people to open up. And amazing. I mean, we uh, didn't have the amazing. luxury of being in the room with the people that we were doing it with. It was all down the line, but I feel like one of her things was she was like, okay, you always make them feel like they're smarter than you, even though you know that you have the answer that you want and you just want them to admit it. These guys are doing that from the very beginning. They're floating names. They're like kind of contradicting each other a little bit and being like, oh, gee, well, who is it then? I mean, is it Colson? No, it couldn't be Colson, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and, and what's and what's the amount? Was it 300? Like in just the preceding scene, yes. there's that great moment where Redford does a, such a great little performance. It's like, it's 350,000. And he goes, no, no. And and, and Burson goes, no, it was more than that. And, and then he goes, he looks to Sloan. Was it more? And he points up like, more? Was it high, a number <laughs> higher? And he's like, more like a million. And they're like, oh, more like, oh. Oh, just like big dumb face, like taking notes. So, so good. So, so good. good. I love to, uh, it's one of my favorite little things to do whenever we interview people now is just make them feel like they're the genius who's helping me out when yeah. <laughs> really, really in my own head, I'm like, oh dude, I knew I wanted you to say that. You've just said exactly what I wanted you to say. You just, um, I'm, I give you this on a platter, my friend. But to, I feel to like say Hoffman's the exact thing oh, that I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> Hoffman's body language is exactly that. Like he's he's so casual. He's laying back on the lounge. He's kind of like, uh, yeah, look, we're all just friends here, hanging out, chatting. But you like you see these folk in your normal lives, like whether it's your mates or whatever, like the person who is the blaggard who is gonna like talk shit or be like Mr. Know it all, that the best one, like there's probably one of your friends who's like the more assertive one that's like wants to get in your face about something. You just avoid them. Mm. The ones you like hearing them spin their own shit are those ones who are laying on the couch 
at a mm. friend's barbecue or mm. like lounging in an outdoor chair, usually with a cigarette in hand and a beer and like holding court, <laughs> like lounging. And you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be good. Like, I'm going to listen to this. It's all going to be nonsense, <laughs> but I want to hear everything this person has to say. And Hoffman just does it like perfectly of like, it almost feels like it's too relaxed. He's saying things that sound like he knows everything, but like you said, that whole like being too relaxed, laying back, lounging, all those, everything about it says these guys actually don't know. So I, I, I am going to add value because I'm going to make them steer clear of saying the wrong thing here. And so, like you said, there's that inclination for Sloan, even though he is slippery to be, um, to be the smartest guy in the room. He's sitting in the chair, He's ready for him. He's not going to get tricked. I don't know about you, but I just, uh, I'm sure you talked about it last episode, but um, I can't, uh, I struggle watching Stephen Collins on the screen these days. I can't, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, no. And, and look, you know, we, we go through, so um, for folks who, who are going to come up and hear it, um, uh, Kelsey Ford and I didn't get to it as much, but in the, in the next episode, you're going to hear Lee Zachariah, who's a great Aussie podcaster as well. It's like back to back. I've had two great Aussie podcasters on the show and, you know, Lee and I talked about that and you guys are going to hear us talk more about it, but it's, it's that whole thing of like separating art from artists. Like it's really like with some people, it's really, really tough. And um, you know, what we dive into a little bit is like Stephen Collins at this time in his life had done nasty shit that he confessed many, many years later. Mm. And so you wonder, it's that weird thing of like, you wonder in the, in the, in the whole alchemy of this movie, there's a guy whose role is actually perfectly designed for him. Um, you know, he, he's like, cause he's like, I need to be evasive. I need to look like I'm a nice yeah, guy. I need to pretend yeah. that I'm the moral guy, but at the same time, I'm going to be super evasive. And actually there's a guy who's been a guest on the show before. Who's, he's a film writer, um, uh, like a sort of a, a, a critical, critical voice. His name's Noah Jattel. And, um, Noah wrote, cause I think a few people are listening, you know, in the podcast while we're listening to. They're talking about Usual Suspects um, mm. this week because The Ringer are doing a rewatchables episode on it. And Noah wrote this great like little thread. He started talking about it. He goes, the reason I can't watch The Usual Suspects anymore, despite being able to watch other movies starring bad men, mm. is, be is because of how Spacey's performance dovetails with his misdeeds. Like it's seductive. He tricks us. Mm. It's a big lie. And it makes us complicit in his crimes. Gross. Like he's like, I don't like feeling that. Mm. And that's what I think is pretty much spot on with what you're feeling about Collins. It's like, you could never watch one episode of seventh heaven where he's meant to be this like pious, nice dad. Like you can never watch that. Like, I mean, not that any of us are rushing back to seventh heaven. Oh, didn't you get but... the, the, the Blu-ray box set? <laughs> It's no. just come out. Crazy. No, no, I think it's coming to stand. But um, I, I think I, I, don't, I don't think I don't think that people are rushing back. But it's like, it's really hard because you're now watching him be this evasive guy who's lying, who's protecting himself, mm. who's who who says he's in an honest house, but has actually been sort of compelled to confess and to and to quit his job by his wife. Um, and so from the right from the outset, like I never really viewed it this way before in, in about him, but just about the character that he's not really the honest guy. He does give them the breaks, but he's doing everything to keep himself safe yeah, uh, yeah, from yeah, prosecution yeah. in the whole, in the whole setup. So yeah, no, it's a, it's tough, man. It's, I, I, I don't really have an answer for it. But Very I, familiar yeah. behavior for him. I feel the same way when I watch uh, another one of my favorite films, 
Ferris Bueller's Day Off with um, Jeffrey Jones as yeah. Rooney in that. I, I used to think Jeffrey Jones' performance was one of the funniest comedy performances of all time. Now it's like almost documentary level in his pursuit of a young oh. boy across town. It's so fucking sickening. To it's watch. creepy. And it's like, and, and I love the TV show Deadwood. One of my favorite shows. Oh, and like yeah. Jeffrey Jones, yep. Jeffrey Jones plays like the newspaper man in that show. And it's, it's, you, you, you go. And that's sort of like more of like a Collins relationship where you've got this whole cast that you love and it's all these creators that you love. And there's mm. this one guy that's in it. Who's a bad guy. And you're like, I don't like this. Like, I can't enjoy your scenes anymore. I can't, I can't, like, there's no distance. It's, but it's, it's hard. Like, it's, I don't know. It's, I guess it's luckily a, it's for us, it's not, I think it's not like year... Stephen Collins is like a, I mean, he's not like a beloved actor that we all really gave a shit about anyway. <laughs> he's no, in a couple no. of good things and we mainly yeah. know him from Seventh Heaven, which doesn't exist anymore. So who cares? It gave us Jessica Beale. That's um, true. That's true. Gave, it gave it Justin Timberlake, Jessica Biel rather. And uh, it, it seemed to like, I don't even think it aired in America. Like I, I, it must just have just been in Australia. Like it's one of those shit shows. It was so bad mm. that like it went off the air in America and then it like appeared in Australia and was on our TVs like all the time, like every season. Totally. It feels um, like one but, of those summer replacement um, shows <laughs> that was supposed to last eight episodes, but for some reason no one told them to stop production. And they kept getting money funneled to them yeah. by some yes, yes. horrible admin error. The writers had to keep writing and coming up with stories for the Camdens. Uh, God, I can't believe I just remember <laughs> the their Camdens. family name. <laughs> oh, my God. I, yeah, I that was their name. The Camdens. Oh, my God. Sickening. You're good. He's huh? good. It's sickening, but he's good. Um, <laughs> what? Um, so, because sort of the... I guess the trajectory of this movie um, as we roll through now, like Collins plays a big role, but around this era, like, are you, are you a, a, a Pakula guy? Have you seen Parallax View? Do you like his other work? Like, uh, you know, you're a Redford guy. Like when, because I know that you guys, so sort of as part of your show, Total Reboot, end up diving into different people's resumes and genres, mm. like as part of your explorations, like, is this, are these guys and you know do you have an affinity for these guys now these genre movies that are made at this time you know i'm thinking more like marathon man when you said well like not what's a cool thriller like a marathon mm. man is like it's kind of in this in this same era same actors you know william goldman wrote the book and the script it's like it feels like something that would be right up your alley well i mean i think with uh with pakula he's someone who i've seen several of his films um you know, like, but I would never say that I'm, he's one of my guys. You're a guy. Yeah. yeah, never, never really. I don't even, I don't even really, I didn't really recognize the name when I was kind of watching this movie again. I'm like, well, who the fuck is this guy? It must be some jo <laughs> some journeyman director. And he kind of is, although he did have a voice I think, around this time. But I definitely went through a big Redford phase. Uh, not too long ago and like every living human on the planet uh, went through a Dustin Hoffman thing that I think for some reason that I can't explain I really got out of the mood of him a couple of years ago or about a year and a half ago um, yes. but he uh, him and Redford are two people that I've really loved but I did uh, I did turn away from Dustin Hoffman a couple of years ago around about the time that that Noah Baumbach film came out the Myrowitz yes. stories, which I've I've since watched, it took me a little while. I avoided it, 
but I really liked it and I really love his performance in it too. Um, he's, he's one that I'd say I struggle with the art, art and artist, uh, debate with. Yeah. Look, there's, you know, there's been some, um, there's definitely been some accusations about earlier in his career that, you know, uh, definitely take the shine off of like this once sort of Prince, um, of method acting and Prince of the seventies. Like he came out, you know, when, when you can do, um, when you can do what he did, like backing the graduate into mm. Midnight Cowboy, um, it's almost impossible for him uh, not to be great. But it's it's what's really what's really funny is he's kind of got a bit of the, and you know Pacino and De Niro had this, or it's like there's a certain point in their career where they just fall into the abyss of like mm. mostly terrible things. Yeah, and then and now and then they pop back up and they're amazing. So like for me, it's like. He, he kind of like, he, he does Dick Tracy in 1990 and there's like, mm. you know, the Oscar winning Rain Man's gone. Like that's mm. all gone now. He flies into Hook, also pretty bad. But then like 97 seems to be a great year for him because he comes back and he does Wag the Dog and Sphere, which are both mm. awesome. He does Outbreak in 95, Sleepers. And then it kind of like goes away again and he's like just doing like Little Fockers and Kung Fu Panda 2. And mm. then you're just like, what is going on? What is, what is going on with this guy? And he just doesn't seem to have it. And now, now obviously with all of the accusations and things like that, he's just kind of like disappeared. He's in the Myrowitz stories, which he's, you know, he was okay, but like there's no late career no, big roles no. really that, that sort of like leap out for you in his career. Whereas like, I think that Redford's final performance in speaking of a great genre movie, like the old man and the gun is so wonderful. Like true, he's absolutely true. outstanding. And, but you know, that's, Hey, Maybe unless we like... forget the uh, end game. <laughs> lest we oh, yeah, forget. Because, lest, lest we forget. Let's, you know, and, and it really sucks that like Orson Welles' last performance ever is Transformers and yeah. Redford's going to be end game. I know, I know. It's just like, it hurts. It hurts. I know. It when it could have just... been that David Lowry movie and, but you know, but Marvel, yeah. Marvel kept him on the hook for one final cameo. <laughs> But Redford is someone who I uh, I got I got obsessed with for the same reason that I got obsessed with Warren Beatty because I think they're quite similar. They've had quite similar careers in that they're both people that were that are incredibly good-looking people. Yeah, they are leading men. They were never really taken seriously as actors, especially. And they also had to transition from 60s cinema to 70s cinema, and they did it yeah. in different ways. I think Beatty um, kind of famously tried to brand himself as an auteur, and he wanted to be the writer, producer, sometimes director of his projects, and he wouldn't really... He would only collaborate with a couple of people like Buck Henry and stuff like that. I think Redford, luckily... I think he's since directed, but at the time it seems like around, you know, around like 73 with the sting and stuff like that, he just realized that he needed to work with hip happening people who would make him cool for the seventies. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he does this great transition and it's like, he goes like he, he sort of, bursts onto the scene and then does like barefoot in the park and Butch Cassidy mm. and downhill racer, like mm. all like pretty close succession. And then he's 72 to like even 80 is insane. Like it's yeah, like, yeah. 
It's fucking handed great, it. man. The Sting, Great Gatsby, Three Days of the Condor, Presidents, which he produces, um, A Bridge Too Far, finishes with The Natural. And then he kind of like, that's when, um, you know, and out of Africa, that's when they talk about like, he had the most, the most influence in Cache. And then that's where he dives into being a director for like many years mm. and like a, eventually wins a, you know, he's one of his pictures, Ordinary People, he wins Best Picture. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really like he, he just, at that perfect time, it would be like Brad Pitt at the end of Fight Club just never acting again mm. for 10 years. Like mm. it seems like a strange thing, but like he did it. Um, and so he has all this cachet, he does it, and then he dips out. But then, and then when he comes back, he's like, it, it's more sporadic after that. Like it, like really for the gap from 80, then he's like 84. And then there's like one, you know, in that 70, 60 period, he's doing yeah. like a couple of movies a year. Like it just jumps. Di- it does a, a few big different jump. things, some things in the 90s that I don't, I'm not too familiar with. And like, and then Spy Game in 01, you know, the Tony Scott movie. It's, it's good. It's crazy. And then, then of course, nothing, kind of nothing for most of that decade until, yeah. he, until he sort of pops up in, you know, Captain America, Winter Soldier and that other Disney movie, Pete's Dragon and stuff like that. It's it's a he's had an interesting career, and for someone who I think is as good looking as he is, it's crazy that he didn't ride that gravy train even, all the way to the end, all the way to the end, because he kind of could oh. have, you know. And I guess he did a lot uh, with Sundance and everything as well. You know, he's ushered in sort of like or helped usher in the indie renaissance in the nineties in that way. He yeah. is he is a, a heroic figure in cinema and i don't think enough people talk about him in that way yeah and especially because he seemed to just go back and like like the fact that sundance exists and it is just like this melting pot for pretty much the next 30 years mm. <laughs> like mm. it kind of had a dip in like the sort of late 2000s like and in, in our last decade and then sort of like towards the end it was like oh no actually this is where great American films can come back. You know, I feel like it, like movies like Blue Ruin and things like that that oh, come out yeah. there. It's like crazy, yeah. but like you know, I'm, I'm I have a real soft spot for Sneakers, which is a, if you haven't seen it, Cam, it's one you have to see. Sneakers is amazing. <laughs> Sneakers is like a great genre movie from 1992. It has like an all. It's like the Oceans. Oh, it's like an Oceans yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah. Before Oceans, Redford, <laughs> Ackroyd, Ben Kingsley, a Phoenix, Sydney it's a Portier, caper film. A, it's a caper baby you love it you'll you'll be all over it it's so good um one of my favorite movies all time phil Adam robinson great movie and and so like he, he does he does those but he's yeah man i i think like the legacy of a guy who who builds up an acting career for like a decade becomes the most famous actor in hollywood like can sell anything massive box office and then pivot to behind the screen and then pivot to creating a culture of like finding emerging filmmakers like that's like at the end of his career like who's to say what's actually had more influence like his Mm. amazing resume or you know as as the sundance programmer like all of the greatest new wave of american 90s like hollywood just all totally And was anointed. It was like the Soderbergs and all those yes, guys. Are like, yes. here you go. Like, here, here you are. Here's, here's the next two decades. They're yours now. Like, mine were, like, you know, yesterday. Yours is tomorrow. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so cool. But like, yeah. And, and this movie is the sign of the times. Like, he is the producer. He sources the script. He mm. stars in the movie to get it financed. Like, 
this is him with so much clout in Hollywood to be able to do all of this that it's like, you know, that's why I think in my mind, this is his best ever movie because he's doing, he's wearing so many hats. It's kind of his voice. Effortless. It's kind of his auto voice. I mean, I read uh, about a year ago, I read the Peter Biskin book about Beatty, Warren Beatty. Um, And uh, like I said, they, I think they had pretty like, Convergent and then divergent careers for a while there, where they're kind of similar guys. And Beatty did a similar thing. He started wanting to take control and be a producer, but he spun it off in the most egotistical, arrogant way possible, where he <laughs> yeah. was fighting for writing credits that he hadn't really earned, fighting for director credits, firing directors from his films, refusing to work on things that he didn't have a say in. I mean, the big one is that they uh, is that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson had written um, uh, the Burt Reynolds role in Boogie Nights for Beatty to play, and mm-hmm. he wouldn't do it because he wanted like a producer credit on it or something. He wanted to direct yeah. it and shit. I think that Redford has gone the other way. The more, that, the that, more that's happened. Way. That's happened so many times with Beatty, though. Like mm. even the like Kill Bill, like mm. like it's Kill Bill was written. To be Beatty, like crazy. That, that's who it was like, and Tarantino's like, yeah, wrote it for Beatty, gave Beatty the Kill Bill script, and it's like, you just need the whole first movie. You're gonna get a shitload of money. You're just gonna talk as a yeah. voiceover. Yeah, we're never gonna see you. And then you're in, you know, three or four scenes that are throughout the movie. There's not a lot of you know fight scenes or anything like that. It's not very demanding roles. Not a lot of lines to learn. It's a couple of great monologues, but nah. I'm busy that week. When I heard you know, that, I was do so upset that we didn't get to see. I think he would have been wonderful as Bill in that. But also, I'm so grateful that Carradine did it because I think it's yeah the best Carradine I was gonna, performance. I mean, the legacy of Carradine in, you know, in Tarantino, because Tarantino has such a great love of like trashy Hollywood TV yeah. shows and, and what Kung that Fu meant to him as a kid like and mm. Kung Fu. Like, it makes so much sense for him to be Bill. But there's something that, ca- like, what's kind of great about the Caridian performance is that he's like, he plays Bill and Bill's sweet. And so you mm. can't really believe how crazy he goes. But the thing that I always think about with Beatty, which is way different to Redford, too, is like, Beatty feels like he could play like malevolent. Like, oh, he could yeah. play like yeah. a really dark, evil, twisted bastard that you're like, <laughs> oh, this girl was like, she liked him because of his power. He's not a sweetheart. He's a real right bastard, and like he's, that's he's what I, 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 that that's why I'm like I kind of miss the I'm I'm like I would look how many scenes could, do, conceivably would Beatty have to shoot today so that we could just do it like a Beatty cut <laughs> like like a Kill Bill like not many not many scenes like I I I would love a Beatty cut because I just think that he could you know Tarantino giving him that like guidance to be like I just want you to unleash the fury and capture it. But also, yeah, like I just don't think he can slight- do it though. I don't think Beatty has it in him. And when you read no. the, if you read the Biskin book, he, he has a lot of insecurities about himself as an actor. And the reason that he wants so much control is so that he can give himself final cut on himself. And also yes. he can um, give himself final as many takes as he wants. Like, He's he doesn't like working with other people because I think he's afraid that they'll all realize he's not as good an actor as he is a b- beautiful man. Can I talk yeah, about something and it's um, like it's the same? Oh, sorry, you go, you go, please. Oh no, I was just gonna say like you know Robert, you know it's funny that the sh- the shampoo story 
and how long it took for them to develop shampoo. And then him eventually working with Ashby and those things was sort of mentioned in the Wasson book about like Beatty just being a bit of a free spirit. And like, that's the kind of only thing he wanted to work on. And it just floated around for years before he actually made it. And then it happens and it's great. And it feels like really urgent and awesome. But at the same time, took so mm. long to make, like, it feels so like crazy that this guy could have had this massive career. And he's like, nah, I'm not going to do it. Well, I mean, yeah, but then now he's happy. He's miss he's Mr. Annette Benning and he uh, has kids and <laughs> just chills out. Worked on his fucking Howard Hughes movie for two decades that came out and no one gave a shit about. <laughs> but Redford, Sucks. though, I want to tell you uh, my favorite moment of Redford in this scene, in this one minute scene, is when they decide to pivot from grilling. Uh, Slippery Sloan to asking him a personal question to kind of loosen yes. him up, you know that classic uh, that classic trick that Anna Bronowski taught me was when they're being cagey to start asking them something incongruous about themselves so that they open up a little bit, and you see it happen on screen in this exact scene where Redford kind of realizes they're getting nowhere and says, "So when's the baby due?" And for the first time in the whole scene, Sloane's shoulders kind of dip down a little bit, like he's kind of starting to relax for a second. And he sort of says, oh, yeah, in a couple of months or whatever the hell. And then they ask two more innocuous questions. Are you going to stay here? Where are you going to move to? Before they get back into the grilling, which is, I just love that, that we get a respite from the interrogation where they just sort of manipulate him into feeling like they're buddies for a second. It's so perfect that you say that as well, because then even the, it's the massage of the innocuous questions and then the positioning of the grilling question, because the positioning changes once it's coming off of really innocuous questions, it doesn't seem as hard as like, so just one last confirmation. Mm. So like when, when the money, when you gave out the money, how did that work? And what's criminal about this minute, but we'll, I'm definitely allowing you to cheat yeah, it. Just we don't for a get that question. Where, yeah, where he finishes, he's like, eh, money. And Colin says, badly. And it's just like, it's just that criminal thing that happens in the show. But, I, I, you know, I'm going to cheat now to answer it. I love, because you're exactly right. It's the baby Jew, where you guys going to live? You know, i got to keep my name out of the paper. And then there's sort of like that. It's almost like him bringing us back. You know, it's actually Colin's instigating that final question. Yeah. Because it's like, you guys are here like grilling me and that's why I'm kind of like, I'm not at peace because I'm being grilled by you. And then ultimately it's that beautiful, just like, well, okay, just that one final question. Like, how did it work? And I'm that, sure you noticed too, Redford by this stage has put his pen and paper away. Puts his pen and paper away. Puts it in so his good. pocket. I think that's the best move. It's such a, like when I watched this, I was like, oh man, I'm taking notes for the next time I have to, <laughs> next time I have to interview someone, you know, who's being a bit cagey is yeah you just really make a show out of the fact that you're not writing this down anymore you're just two people talking now and and the the great thing is when you've got a partner that's across from you the great thing that you know from these guys being in Woodward's apartment earlier is that they're they're immediately going to reconvene after this conversation and make sure that they got, they've got each other's back for the direct quotes mm. and they're going to get it all. And they're going to go back to the newsroom and they're going to discuss it. But like, I, I, I constantly watch this movie in awe of 
how you relate to people, how you're asking those tough questions. And like for even you and I, and like the most innocuous sort of entertainment journalist thing is you talk to someone, you want to ask them some tough questions about a film that they've been in or a, mm. you know, a decision they made in their career. And it's just like, there are so many like tools of the trade, like that are sitting in this movie that are just kind of like what makes it so wonderful. But it's like, Oh, I could totally, I'm going to, I'm going to pick by it. I'm going to pick that tool up and put it in my pocket. Just like Redford puts his notebook because <laughs> that's how good it is. Like, it's like, I'll take that. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, it's just that, that little, that last little bit of comfort. I'm not even taking a note. I don't even really need to. It's not even that important how the money works. It's not even that yeah. important, but still, Slippery Sloan is cagey as, and he's like badly. This movie because he knows, he knows if he says it, it's gonna just prove with even greater certainty that he's complicit in a lot of the bad shit that's been going down. For all the like, I said it a bit earlier that this movie's a bit procedure porn, and and I know that um, Woodward was really he really wanted to stress the authenticity of journalism and and the work that goes into cracking a story. And for all of that, and there's been criticism of that. I actually read, a, and you probably have already talked about it. Um, R- Roger Ebert hated it. Oh, I didn't hate it. He gave it three and a half stars, which. Um, but what? he but he didn't love it. He didn't love it. It, it, he, it took him a dec a decades to grow on him. It took yeah, him decades. Which is one thing I love about critics is that they can just change their mind <laughs> 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 and just undo all this, uh, you know, resentment that the that filmmakers have felt from reading their words for years. But uh, the Ebert, the first line of Ebert's review is that this movie is truer to the craft of journalism than it is to the art of storytelling. And that's the problem with this movie. And I think that there is some validity in that. There is a lot of the process rather than the excitement. But having said that, this movie still makes me want to be a newsman. This yes. movie makes me want to work in a bullpen, makes me want to have my sleeves rolled up and a loose tie around my neck, a corduroy jacket over my fucking which shirt. Which just now yeah. just ordered. Yeah, which, which you now ordered. Which I'm one step closer to having. <laughs> and just spend hours working away on something. It feels like yeah. there's there's something... Um, like it, it makes journalism feel like a working class job. <laughs> really? Yeah. This whole movie. Like at, at, at the end of the day, it's less about art. It's actually work. Like these guys mm. show you the work. It's like going to have conversations, then reviewing the detail of that conversation, then trying to hope that it gives you enough information. Yeah, it feels like work. And later on, what's so great about, you know, Ebert, there's, I've got this great book of like a, a whole stack of his four-star reviews mm. um, from his entire career, um, this sort of compendium, which is a great, like, if you want a curated list of just great movies, just go and watch it. And, you know, a future project that we're going to do on One Heat Minute is Zodiac. Um, oh, and, God, you know, I love op- that the, film. Uh, the it. opening line to his Zodiac review is like, you know, Zodiac is the all the president's men of serial killer movies. Yeah, dude, it really and is. Like, and, and so he's he's gotten down to that point of like, I want to see setbacks. I want to see procedures. I want to see you butting your head against the wall. I want to see when you think that you have a breakthrough, it is just a false breakthrough because there's other things to contend with. There's egos, there's people Mm. who are complicit. There's people who've made mistakes along the way. You have to apply them. You have to stroke their ego. You have to go and talk to people. You've got leads that are BS. You've got red herrings in this movie. It's a little red herring. It's a lady with red hair that just wants to talk to some journos, you know, and have some tea in her house. Like, um, you know, who, who was, who doesn't want to have tea with Hoffman and Redford in 75 (laughs) or whenever they shot this. But you know, like, like I feel like, it's 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 not a traditional mode of storytelling, but 
but I think that that's why I'm addicted to talking about it and why I think it, it, it stands up to the scrutiny of this process, like this minute by minute process, because every minute, all these little details, you and I can just chew on them for an hour. Like we can sit here and chew on, like, I love the putting a note into the pocket. I can chew on that for like 15 minutes with you and talk about how great that is. And later, later on people like, what, what about that newsroom story doesn't do what this does. And it's like, it just had so much patience. That's why I got to love the whole team in this movie, producers, directors, you know, cinematographers, writers, they all got the patience to go, no, right now we're going to watch people do this thing in like real time. Mm. That's what's happening on yeah. screen. And <laughs> we're not going to rush because it just doesn't work when we rush. So like it has to be the agony of getting it there. And uh, that's, that's why I get out of talking about it every episode of the show. It's always been one of those movies that I've said is one of my favorite movies, even though I've probably only watched it twice in my yeah. life. But it's always been in the conversation whenever people say, and so has the conversation, by the way, um, by Coppola. But um, uh, whenever anyone says... He's a, easily love, in my top 10 movies of all time. It's a classic. It's one of the greats. But I've always said... And I, and I, I, and I, would, I would fight you, sorry, on the blow up <laughs> because that's the, that's the one thing, like one of my best buddies is like, you either like Travis Woods, who's actually the host of Aaron Kermit Vice Podcast, is like, Blake, you either like Blow Up by De Palma or you like The Conversation. There are no, there's no one that likes both equally. You are like, it was like, it's like, it's like a, a couple that has to choose sides or like friends have to choose sides and your mates get divorced. It's like, you got to choose sides, bro. You got to be a blow up guy. Are you going to be conversational? No, you can't. You, you can like them both. I like them both. But this yeah. movie, the, you've just nailed everything I love about it, which is the patience of it. And also like the workmanship of it all. I've always said that I love this. And at the same time, Silence of the Lambs is a top 10 for me. And maybe that's why I love Zodiac so much because it's both of those movies pushed together. And so is the series Mindhunter. It's a fucking, it's just all the president's men meets Silence of the Lambs for 20 episodes. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's Fincher going, Hey, do you guys want to see Zodiac, but longer with more serial killers? And they're like, yeah, I do. Like that sounds yeah, obviously, obviously that sounds I fucking do. awesome um and do you want to see like um bill tench um like oh, in man. any movie and Dude. like yeah man i'm in i'm obviously. totally in that guy fucking rules he totally rules um I- man this has been so much fun talking to you um and uh, i really you know appreciate us not getting into a scrap um over alexi in the show so i appreciate it <laughs> i can't wait to see your corduroy jacket <laughs> Um, Thanks, it's just, and, and, and I, I am, I, I know a little bit of uh, behind the scenes information to say that, um, there may be a follow-up to the incredible finding Drago series that people are going to hear about soon. And, um, I'm, I'm ex- super excited for you. Is there anything else that you, uh, want to need to spruik to the people just before we wrap up? Um, I would say listen to Total Reboot. That's always a, a lot of fun if you like movies. In fact, we're the only podcast about movies on the internet. Um, plural. Yeah, 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 plural, plural there. Got that in there. And uh, yes, if you haven't listened to Finding Drago, I'd love you to listen to that. It's a, it's the Woodward and Bernstein of of uh, <laughs> shitty investigation. <laughs> but we, we found a good mystery online and we spent, you know, a, a seven episodes trying to solve it. And there, yeah, like you mentioned, there may be more to come. There may be a new mystery. Um, That new mystery may be very underway and it may be very close to coming out. 
So oh I'd, my God. I'd love it if you'd stay subscribed to that feed because that's where it will appear. You guys can go and subscribe to that feed in the description of the show. And if you go to oneheatminute.com, where the All the President's Minutes podcast is housed, it will be there underneath Cam. Cam, man, thank you so much for being a part of the show. And Thanks I feel like me. now I've I've had my Woodward, I've had my Bernstein. I'm going to call you the the Woodward and Alexi the Bernstein because you've got the corduroy. So, um, so now much. that that circle is complete, um, it's so awesome. <laughs> You're the Ben Bradley of us as well, by the way. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, the best compliment ever. End this show now, How? it's done <laughs> that was the incredibly talented Cameron Cam James he's a comedian he's a podcast finding Drago total reboot and mic check um, we'll have links in our description and on the site so go and check those out and subscribe they are must subscribes if you want to follow him it's I am Cameron James all one word on Twitter that's probably the best place you can start and um, you can just follow them from there guys thank you so much for listening to the first of four episodes of all the President's Minutes that are coming this week if you want to follow the show at ATPM pod on Twitter at one Blake minute for myself on socials being Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to uh, support the show, there's a donation link that always comes out as a standard in our uh, descriptions of the show. But if you want to be a patron and get an extra bonus episode of the podcast every single week and some shout outs and some other bonus stuff, one heat minute is where you can find us on Patreon. But times are tough. If you can't afford it, a share, a retweet, a like, getting it in the hands or the ears of someone who you know is going to dig our stuff. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on another episode very, very soon. A banger of a week. Great guests coming at you.